Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doing at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this show on Monday, February 3rd, 2020, which is the day after the Super Bowl. You caught it, right, Aaron? Oh, absolutely. I had to watch all the commercials and whatnot. Well, yeah, I have to admit, not much of a sports fan, but I'm always fascinated by the Super Bowl because of just the craft of the thing. It's live television, and it's so ridiculously well shot. In fact, they had 70 cameras on the field. I, I guess they were a bunch of the manned, a bunch of them were robotic, but that's why you seem to be coming at this game from every angle. Can you imagine the control, the studio control room? If you've got 70 cameras, that means you've got 70 monitors to pick from in the control room so you can put it on one screen. Who is capable of calling the shots in a situation like that? I mean, that just has to be a crazy setup. But again, you're right. A lot of the other reason we all watch the Super Bowl is the commercials. And of course, for Marvel fans, we had two that were of interest. One, of course, was for The Black Widow, first film of Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, arriving at theaters May 1st. And then there was our very first look at those limited series that Marvel Studios is producing for Disney+. Plus. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision and Loki, and you brought up something I have just not heard before about, and again, the Loki clip is what, five seconds, if that? Yeah, I mean, he gets to say a single line, and then it's gone. Yep. But somebody online noticed a thing, and I went, hey, wait a minute, and then I read the article mm -hmm. and went, holy cow, they did a thing that I didn't expect, and mm -hmm. uh, it rather confirms a whole bunch of hypotheses that are floating around, shall we say. On Loki's mm -hmm. chest, uh, he's wearing a shirt, and there's a very stylized three letters, TVA, mm -hmm. which stands for, in Marvel parlance, the Time Variance Authority. That's basically cops for time travel, yo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got busted doing a 1955. Pull over. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's um, the the police that make sure that, you know, time flows correctly. If something is supposed to happen a certain way, they make sure that it happens a certain way. And if things somehow go afoul, it's their job to correct it or make a judgment call and let it run afoul if, if that's the way that they think it needs to go in that instance. Because, you know, they're not omnipotent or anything. They're, they've got their faults and their wants and whatnot. So, yeah, it looks it looks like... Loki is going to be doing some time traveling. The time travel police are going to catch up with them. We've got the multiverse of madness somewhere lurking out on the horizon. So uh, mm. all kinds of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly shenanigans could be happening anytime now. Thank you for the Doctor Who reference. Yes. <laughs> now, to quickly double back to, to Black Widow. And the ads that they put out for Black Widow are, are surprisingly strong. But you know Disney's PR department has just got to be loving the fact that here they are bringing this movie to market in the same window of time where Scarlett Johansson isn't up for one Academy Award. She's up for two. She's up for Best Leading Actress for her, her work in Marriage Story. And then she's up for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Jojo Rabbit, which, again, directed by Taika Waititi of uh, Thor Ragnarok fame. 
Okay, now, not to get all political or anything, but this would be the time where we would mention d- diversity in the list. Mm-hmm. We all love Scarlet because she's our, our Black Widow girl, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But for crying out loud, pick one of her performances and give the second slot to another person. <sighs> I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're looking for diversity and, and hearing about how it's all cluttered. And it's like, we don't want Scarlet to be the bad guy. Because mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. taken up That's... two slots, and I'm sure she didn't ask for two slots. But for the Academy, if you're listening, which I know you're not, you know, pick, <laughs> just pick one, pick one of her performances, and say that's our favorite of the two. I get that it's two different categories. That's okay. Pick one performance. Next slot goes to someone else. Okay, okay, I I can see where you're coming at, but you know. <laughs> The Academy has tried to address this problem over and over and over again and keeps screwing up. I mean, it's worth mentioning here that when they announced the directors, you know, and, you know, again, five white guys, hey, what a surprise. I don't know if you caught the news because it was so very recent about Joaquin Phoenix and his BAFTA acceptance speech for Joker. Yeah, the just the. Uh, yeah, just go ahead. Last night, yeah. Okay, no, 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 no. He came out pretty hard out on this very same issue. And it's one of these things where the film industry is changing so fundamentally. We'll be getting into, you know, the rise of streaming services. And, and, and in fact, let's, you know, it's worth pointing out that, for example, Marriage Story, the thing that, that Scarlett got her leading role for, was basically created for Netflix and got this award, you know, nomination on its its limited theatrical run. It's such a strange space where here's Hollywood trying to change for the Me Too era, trying to bring in diversity, and at the same time, we're coming out of a Sundance film festival where normally all of these art house films have you know been bought up and and you know and got distribution deals and. You know, so many people went away empty-handed because it's like nobody knows what anybody wants anymore. Right. Since we're talking about diversity, we got to be careful about them Kiwis because between Taika Waititi and, and <laughs> Peter Jackson, they could end up owning all the categories just between those two. So Hugh Jackson is not a Kiwi. He's from he's, Australia. He's an Australian, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, okay. we can, we're still I, safe from them. Okay. Well, I, I, I bring him up because... Uh, Patrick Stewart has been out this past uh, couple of weeks or so doing press for Picard, the new sort of continuation of Star Trek, the next generation that just launched on uh, CBS All Access. I think they're, they're two episodes in at this point. It's very well reviewed. But Patrick, you know, he had sort of turned his back on the Jean-Luc Picard character. Evidently, they had numerous people had come at him about, you know, let's do another next-gen film and that sort of thing. It's like, no, Nemesis back in 2002 wasn't a particularly good film, and let's put this in a rearview mirror. But oddly enough, what got him back to the table was Logan. In fact, there's this great quote where he talked about working in 2017 with director James Mangold and that Hugh and I were so thrilled that the last thing we did for X-Men was Logan. It was the best X-Men experience we both had because we were the same we were the same characters, but their world had been blown apart. Now, I bring this up because, again, you know, Patrick did a lot of press out ahead of the launch of Picard, and invariably, questions came up about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and and Patrick did admit that Kevin Feige had reached out 
had approached him about coming back to play Professor X in some yet-to-be-named Marvel Cinematic Universe project. And, and again, when they do these press junkets, people get 10 or 15 minutes with the star, and then the next reporter comes in, and the next reporter comes in. And invariably, the, the actor gets asked the same question over and over and over again. What was fascinating was that Patrick's answer sort of mutated <laughs> over the press event, you know, to the effect of, well, I said no, you know, because, again, I, Logan was such a wonderful end for the character and yada, yada. But toward the end of the press event, he, he began talking about how Picard and coming back to play Jean-Luc Picard again had kind of opened his eyes and that, like, well, maybe, maybe I will go back and do Professor X. So I guess what I'm saying here, folks, is this is a definite maybe of a rumor. During a press event, Patrick Stewart wavered on whether or not he'll come back to play Professor X. So I guess we're going to have to keep our eye on that. And while we're talking about things that may or may not happen, this is going to be kind of depressing news for you Guardians of the Galaxy fans out there who are sort of chomping at the bit for, for Volume 3. But back on December 18th, James Gunn was being asked about, you know, he's in the middle of, of shooting Suicide Squad. In fact, as of December 18th, they were only two-thirds of the way through shooting the film. And, and Gunn was talking about how Suicide Squad is, is the, the biggest practical effects film he's ever worked on. And given how involved the post-production schedule is going to be on the Suicide Squad film, the earliest he begin, can begin shooting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is a year from now. When I, I shared this story with the friend of Imagineering, it's like, yeah, yeah, they're handing out the adult diapers here. Because that means that they're not going to get their ride footage for Cosmic Rewind, you know, the big thrill ride, the Guardians of the Galaxy-based uh, thrill ride for Epcot, till very, very late in the game. Given that you you like to be able to do test runs on thrill rides and soft openings and that sort of thing, the fact that they may not be getting their ride media uh, till very, very late, that's not good news. And speaking of other not good news, I guess on, on Instagram, James was asked, how many more Guardians films does he see himself making? He says, only one, you know, one more. <laughs> you know, that seems, that's it. Yeah, I think that seems to be the right answer at this time. Yeah. I know, mean, I've been and fired and then brought back. I'm not going to say, I'm going to retire making these movies for the next generation. Yeah. 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 And, but this is a guy who lost his job for being on social media and what he said there. And the fact that he's he's so straightforward. Somebody reached out through social media and was asking about, for example, will Yondo be coming back? And it's like, nope. James said, if a character dies in, in my movies, they likely stay dead. I think stakes are important. Yeah. And that opens a really interesting series of questions because Gamora's dead. You know, that, that or yeah, at least but the we Gamora. Also have, we also have a different time of Gamora available to re replace mm -hmm. her with. So This is true. It's not a cheat. Just like we've got a Loki. Loki died at the hands of Thanos uh, back in Infinity War. And uh, he's currently got a series coming, and that's not a cheat either, is it? Because it's it, yeah, it's it's a different time, Loki. You know, so yeah, it's it's not bringing him back. It's just using mm -hmm. a different version of him, which is almost why uh, approaching Patrick Stewart to even think about coming back as Xavier isn't that mm -hmm. crazy because that just means that all of the Fox X Men movies, love him or hate him, were they were just in a different. 
Marvel universe because we've got a multiverse now, right? So they can totally be in a different pocket, just as well as the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies are just now in different universes if we choose them to be. Speaking of which, you probably saw the, the same story as I did late last week about the multiverse of badness, that it's entirely possible we are going to see characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe both living and dead, but in different realities. One of the more interesting suggestions out there is that that Robert Downey Jr., on the heels of how Dr. Doodle crashed and burned, maybe, you know, pulling back on the Iron Man outfit just to, you know, what does it feel like to be back in a hit movie? I'd, I'd really like to do that again. Oh, by the way, since we're talking about projects that have, have been delayed or, or running into to, to, to issues, the uh, Crystal Dynamics uh, Marvel's Avengers game, which I, I know... We've talked about a couple of times on previous uh, podcasts, Aaron. They just re revealed the, the game, which was supposed to come out on May 15th for uh, PC, the PS4, Xbox One, and Google Stadia. That's now been pushed back to September 4th of this year. Okay. What they've said is they want to spend the additional development time focusing on fine-tuning and polishing the game to uh, to meet the high standards that our fans expect and deserve. So... I mean, I know that's got to be disappointing for the folks who were really looking forward to this game, but we pushed that off till September. I know you and I talked about this on a, a previous Marvelous podcast, the Stuntronics for the Avengers Campus for Disney's California Adventure. And they had posted some images of the, the robotic figures sort of leaping through the air and doing... Marvel-esque poses, and I think you were the one who was like, okay, that's Spidey, and they're going to launch him over the campus, and you know, all that, and I always like to share these stories when, when Aaron is right. If you look at it, it's, it's all knees and elbows akimbo, I mean, it's pretty obvious when he's a Spider-Man, especially when he puts his hands in a thwipping position, it's a pretty dead giveaway, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes on that one. So. Oh, I know, but, <laughs> but at the same time, it was so cool to see on January 30th, Disney put up a 30-second clip of the Stuntronic in the Spidey outfit and, you know, beautifully lit from below and going through, and, and again, doing the thwip pose. And it was just sort of like, it's like, wow, that looks great. So again, called Friends at Imagineering to get a little info about this. And it turns out the Spidey Stuntronic in-house, it's referred to as basically the response to the dragon at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Diagon Alley at Universal Studios Florida. As it was explained to me, face it, if you've seen the, um, the, the dragon figure in, in Florida, you never quite know when it's going to go off. It, it typically goes off every 10 or 15 minutes, but people stand in the street and wait with their cameras and their phones to get pictures of this thing. Jim, I got to ask, as, as you're describing it, I know that it shoots fire out of its mouth. Does mm -hmm. the dragon itself move in any way, or is that totally static? Oh no, it, it's it's a totally static thing. But okay. on the other hand, when you know when ten feet of flame, can oh shoot, sure, I mean you can actually you can actually feel the heat. So that that's a thing that that people will stand there. But at the same time, people will stand there, and it's like, well, I'm waiting here. I'll, I'll go get an ice cream cone, or I'll get a beverage while I wait. And it's a wonderful sales opportunity. So Disney paid attention to this. So the whole notion is that in the Avengers campus, the plan is that Spidey will also be on a somewhat random routine. 
that he'll come launching over the bay. And the interesting thing is that it actually has created some sort of backstage challenges for the park because normally cast members have all sorts of access to backstage areas and they can cut through, you know, to run quickly from one side of the park to the other. And the, the thing is the, the mechanism for the Spidey thing. I mean, this thing is, is I'm told it's 350 pounds. And yeah. so obviously when it's being fired back and forth, uh, and you know, landing in its its cargo net sort of thing. Cast members can't be in these spaces. No, I can um, imagine the aim being off just a bit, and it's like a wrecking ball going through a side of a building, just so a huge Kool Aid Man crater. And you know? oh yeah, yeah. No, evidently <laughs> they had to do so much testing to prove to Disney Legal that this thing will hit where it's supposed to hit, and. The idea is that people will sit or stand inside of the, the campus and wait to see Spidey go overhead to get these shots. And, and you know, coincidentally, the, I'm you know. just predicting it's going to take up until it hits like one bird mid flight and that thing is oh. grounded. Oh, oh. Okay, well, <laughs> you know what I mean. Here's a here's another errand prediction. I could, and again, I suddenly have have concerns. But again, from Disney's point of view, the the idea is that people will go into the PIM test kitchen and get a beverage and sit there and wait for it to fly overhead. But oh, birds! Yes, yeah. that's, California has birds. Okay, suddenly I'm concerned. Um, it's the return of the swallows of San Juan Capistrano. Boom, 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 boom. Oh God, the humanity! Oh God. Okay. Wow. Okay, you have opened a can of worms here. <laughs> and they just brought more birds. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Speaking of Disney parks related stuff, the of course, Disney parks include the Cruise Line. And on January 9th, Cruise Line announced the uh, dates for 2021 for the Marvel Day at Sea uh, packages. They're going to be doing... Nine different cruises, um, and again, they start on January 9th, 2021, and with dates that go all the way through to March 1st, 2021. So if you're you're interested in that, go check that out, because what's really great about the Marvel, Marvel Day at Sea thing is that because you're in international waters... You know, remember we've talked at, at length about the uh, the master licensing agreement for Universal. Once they get into international waters, they can have all of the the Marvel characters, all of the villains, out on the boats, and that's the thing that's so impressed people who've done these cruises so far. It's like, oh my God, they're all here and they're all accessible, including Hawkeye. Who the rumors began to make the rounds that the Hawkeye limited series that had been announced for Disney plus had been postponed. And this was supposedly largely because of Jeremy Renner's, I guess he's going through a pretty ugly divorce and normally Disney doesn't or Disney or Marvel doesn't respond to this sort of thing. And they actually came out and made a joint statement emphatically denying this rumor, you know, to the effect of no, you know, Hawkeye is going forward and we are, that this project is still associated with Jeremy Renner. We very much look forward to working with him on this limited series. And and by the way, folks, when we get back, uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about what's going on with these limited series. And again, largely because of that, that just ran during the Super Bowl. Before we get started here, I've got a question uh, for our listeners. 
How many of you are familiar with Marvel Unlimited? This is a digital, basically, archive of Marvel comic books. It did take them a while to get the archive built because back mm-hmm. in the day, they didn't have a lot that was digital yet. They cherry-picked a couple of critical story arcs, you know, mm-hmm. that were like maybe 6 to 12 books. And they okay. digitized that. And then anything that was coming out now, they would digitize it, but you didn't have access to it for like six months. Mm-hmm. So they were busy trying to rebuild their library just in a digital format. So it was cherry pick older stuff, the, the key story arcs from older material and anything new. And then over time we'll fill in the gaps and we'll have our entire library available. So in the beginning, a little bit on the slim pick inside. Now it's a wealth of material. Mm-hmm. And when I was living in Mobile, Alabama, there was not uh, there were there were no comic book stores. So mm-hmm. uh, it was a great option because for the price of like three comic books, I could have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Now in in Indianapolis, we've got comic book stores. I actually go to the one around the corner because they're cool people, and you can you know got to keep those guys in business. So buy it off the rack. Oh there. no 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 absolutely and and. More to the effect that, you know, I, I, I love talking with and dealing with folks at the comic book stores because they will steer you. You know, again, I, I get lost in the racks or more to the point when I'm looking for research material for the show. They're like, OK, hang on. I got a graphic novel you got to pick up or that sort of thing. I want to tell you just before we launch into it, this is a, a sucker thing about the comic mm-hmm. book store mm-hmm. for me. Back in the day, the Marvel came out with the 2099 series where it was Spider-Man 2099 and Doom 2099 and Punisher 2099. And, you know, it's all your basic heroes just in the year 2099. That's the gag. And uh, it flopped totally. Nobody bought it. I bought all of them. I loved mm-hmm. all of them. I thought they were so cool. And, uh, yeah, it went away. And today you can buy, like, a number one issue of all of them for, like, you know, They have no monetary value whatsoever. But recently, Marvel just relaunched the 2099 series, and I'm so on board. And I went and I saw it on the rack, and I'm buying all the (laughs) – where's more? Tell me where is more. And they're handing it to me like an addicted kid with Skittles. Just give me more. I need to taste the entire rainbow. Where's all of it? Oh, that's so cool. Well, well, speaking of the entire rainbow, again, the gimmick right now is that Marvel Unlimited is doing a sale. In fact, I guess it initially was supposed to shut down tail end of January. They've since extended it through March 1st. But the gimmick is that you can get an entire year's worth of access uh, to Marvel Unlimited for just $60. So uh, $5 a month. And I guess that's, I guess the original was uh, $9 a month or something. In fact, that's the thing. I'm just trying to at least be conversational when it comes to the Marvel comic books. And I I get uh, that, I guess, in order to help support uh, the comic book retailers that the titles, I guess, is a six-month moratorium before the titles that are out currently then show up Marvel Unlimited. But we're just looking for some feedback as to whether or not this is a good investment. Because um, I'm, I'm mostly a paper guy. But, Aaron, you were mentioning, I guess, one of the things that you really enjoyed when you subscribe to Marvel Unlimited is that you'd look at these things on tablets 
and you could literally blow up a frame or blow up a drawing, right? Yeah, I mean, I need reading glasses. So mm-hmm. on a tablet, if I can't see the print so well, I can, you know, do the pinch zoom thing and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I can read the words can't do that on paper right so there's the benefit of that but I also had like you know the those times where you're sitting in the doctor's office right waiting for Mm -hmm. an hour for no stupid reason and you've got the entire Marvel library there and you just download you know a a series of books and you sit there and flip through them and you don't have to worry about ruining the cover or taking them out of the plastic or getting fingerprints on them because they're collectibles you're if you're a fan you really want to read the stories you know and if you're a collector obviously you'll have your key issues and whatnot but this is just for take it on the go you know, you're, you got to go home for the holidays or whatever for a week. You got to be on the plane for four hours. Uh, you don't need to bring a stack of comics. You got them all with you in your Marvel Unlimited. It was great. Loved it. Hmm. Okay. I think Aaron's got me halfway there already. But uh, again, if you buy it before a plane on... trip, buy one month before I'll... a plane trip and you're, you've paid for it because you'll read it on the way to and on the way from wherever your destination is. You'll probably have read more than the, the eight or nine dollars worth of content if you would have bought it issue by issue. Okay. And speaking of things that would be fun to watch on a plane. The Super Bowl ad that just ran for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and Loki. But mid-September 2020 was when the six-episode run of Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to begin. Then WandaVision was supposed to kick in on New Year's Eve of 2020 and roll into 2021. And then Doctor Strange was supposed to swap release dates with uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So Doctor Strange would was supposed to debut February 12th, 2021, and Shang-Chi was supposed to drop uh, May 7th, 2020. This whole schedule went sideways, uh, or excuse me, the proposed schedule went sideways in early January when Scott Derrickson, who had directed the original uh, Doctor Strange, and he'd been signed to, do, to direct the Doctor Strange sequel back in December of 2018. Uh, he announced on January 9th that he would no longer be directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I know in the last show we talked about his December 16th tweet about release dates of the enemy of art. But the weird part of it, Aaron, is if we'd been paying attention as far back as September, Scott has sort of been rattling his saber There's a tweet he put up on September 11th of of last year where he talked about, based on my own experience in a recent conversation with five other tentpole directors, the most common challenge difficulty for event movie filmmakers is getting unwanted major script changes late in pre-production. He tweets that on September 11th. On October 17th, the trades announced that they've hired a brand new writer for uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and it's uh, Jade Haley Bartlett. And you have to understand that Derrickson's been working on Multiverse of Madness since December of 2018. So 10 months in, they hire a new screenwriter. Before this goes any further, his complaint was that they're getting script changes late in pre-production. Mm-hmm. We've had mega blockbuster movies that were made up the day the cameras rolled. 
Iron Man 2, I think, is a pretty good example of a Marvel movie that was mostly made up the day that they rolled cameras because Robert Downey Jr. went, I got this. I do get that. He's got to have some flexibility, right? As a director, you got to expect that the studio is going to put their fingers in the pot. You got to expect it. And it's so interesting you bring that up because just this past week, uh, I don't know if you you saw that image that popped up online of, of Captain Marvel circa 2015 uh, for Age of Ultron. Evidently, and again, I know <laughs> I know your thoughts on the um, uh, the Infinity Saga Blu-ray. You know, the, right. the, with the, it's twenty three discs and it's five hundred and fifty dollar price point and mm-hmm. all that, but in that. 24th disc with all of its cut scenes. It turns out it's Natasha and uh, Steve Rogers, uh, you know, at the very tail end of the film, and they're, it's the new Avengers. It's the new set of Avengers, and they're about to begin training them. Right. And uh, you have Vision, you have Wanda, I think you have uh, Falcons there. I, I forget the other characters. But evidently, Joss Whedon wrote and shot a scene where among the people who were standing there was supposed to be Captain Marvel. And it was Kevin Feige who was like, I don't think a character that's this important should be introduced in that fashion. She needs something bigger. She needs, right. a, and more to the point, they just evidently hired a, a blonde woman so you could see her from the back, but the outfit would, you know, would be recognizable. So, yeah. no, you're right. I mean, you know, that, but that got as far as being shot. And it was, you know, but it, when they got in the, the editing room, it's like, nah, it, it, so yes, there has to be some, um, some sort of back and forth between producer and director and the studio and that sort of thing. But what I think, the problem that Scott Derrickson is happen, having is that, face it, the Marvel Universe has changed largely because of Disney+. Plus. Uh, August 2019, we had Kevin Feige standing you know, on stage at the, the Disney Expo and talking about these uh, new limited series that the Marvel Studios would begin producing for the, the company's new subscription s- streaming services. And... And again, we have him make that comment about filmmakers being upset about unwanted script changes. But November 2019, here's Kevin Feige talking with Bloomberg about, you know, that really, you know, going from this point forward, if you're a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're going to have to subscribe to Disney Plus if you really want to get all of the juice possible out of the theatrical releases, because... There are things that are going to be introduced in WandaVision that are going to impact Multiverse of Madness. And likewise, coming out of Multiverse of Madness, there are going to be elements that impact Loki. So right after this, again, we have the December tweet, you know, from Scott Derrickson about release dates of the Enemy of Art. And then at some point, Scott Derrickson begins talking with Ryan Johnson, who, let's remember, was the director of 2017's The Last Jedi and he had initially been tapped by Lucasfilm to do a whole new trilogy of Star Wars movies, which in November of last year, he walked away from. Evidently, Ryan had the exact same issue with Disney that Derrickson did. And just that it's the suddenly here are these limited series and that all of the film divisions at Disney, whether it's Pixar or Lucasfilm or Marvel, are expected to help support this new effort for the company. 
And so it really has kind of become the tail wagging the dog. And so, you know, so, so the two of them sit down and start talking about this, this, you know, what it's like now to make movies at Disney where it's like, well, you know, make sure that the movie you're making also has some sort of tie-in with what's going on over at Disney+. And on December 25th, Scott Derrickson tweets out, Thank you, Ryan Johnson, who took time out of his vacation to talk with me at length about a personal situation I'm dealing with. An astonishingly good filmmaker, but also an incredibly gracious and incisive uh, human being, truly grateful to him. And then two weeks later, he announces that he's stepping away from Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Bandits, though because he's put so much work into this film already, he's, he's, he's going to stay on as an executive producer. The Mandalorian was such a huge hit that it became appointment viewing. But again, that ended just before Christmas or thereabouts. Yeah. Now, tomorrow, the Walt Disney Company is going to have its quarterly earnings call. And this is the first quarterly earnings call since they launched Disney+. And evidently, they're going to get to announce this astounding number of subscribers. Uh, you know, all these folks who came on board during the first three months of operation of the company's new subscription streaming service. But what they're not saying is that a lot of adults, after The Mandalorian ran, and after I think you were talking about how, you know, you and Sabrina, you know, what you watched the uh, the Jeff Goldblum show yep. on Disney Plus, and, and Forky and, asks what? a question: What is computer? <laughs> Those are fun. They but are. after that, there's not a lot. On Disney Plus for adults? Yeah. We were wondering, why are we subscribing from now until the new Marvel series starts up? What are we subscribing for? Because I don't have anything I got to check out right this minute. And uh, I think I'm good on Disney Plus for almost a darn year until... I am very, very excited for WandaVision. I think more than anything else because it looks radically different. Uh, the stylized TV show aesthetic from different eras, I oh, yeah. think, is very, yeah. very interesting and different mm -hmm. from any format and formula that we've been fed thus far. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm eager for long-form storytelling in the Marvel Cinematic mm -hmm. Universe. And I'm eager for the fact that now that Disney is realizing, oh, Mandalorian went away and so did all of our viewers, and having monthly movies like Noel aren't going to keep people around because they had one movie that, you know, Lady and the Tramp, I, I never, I still haven't watched it and I still don't care about it. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if those movies are a miss for you personally, then yeah. what exactly are you paying for that month, right? I mean, that's, that's a dangerous gamble right now. So what I'm hoping for is that they kind of get into the comic book mold of you got to have a new issue every month, dude. <laughs> you got to have a show. You got to have an episode. You got to have something every month. I don't care if it's Star Wars or MCU, but the fan base is there for it. You just got to fill those 12 long holes that are called months in the calendar. <laughs> no, you're, not, you're not wrong. And, and in fact, that 
to bring us full circle here, this is why that ad ran during the Super Bowl, you know, to the effect of, okay, I know you watch The Mandalorian, but this stuff is coming. The problem is it's just not coming fast enough. I mean, all three of these series are obviously in various stages of production. Uh, likewise, Mandalorian Season 2 is being readied for, you know, its debut in September. But yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting couple of months. It's And it's not necessarily this earnings call. I mean, Disney will get to trumpet, you know, all these people who came on board during the first three months. It's, it's going to be the next earnings call where they actually have to talk about the number of people who didn't necessarily continue right. with Disney Plus, you know, largely because I'm an adult. I need adult stuff. Like Baby Yoda. <laughs> Adults need more Baby Yoda in their diet. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> as long as we're pointing toward absurdities, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the Morbius trailer that dropped again while we were away? No, I do not. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So let's start off with the with the good. It doesn't look bad. I got to give it a fair shot. I can't just, you know, be angry at it because it's a Sony thing. Mm -hmm. There are some shots in it that look like it is Morbius the way that it should be, right? So, I mean, there's there's some cool stuff there. I hope that it turns out to be a cool movie. Okay. My fear is, and I've got this great fear, like, you know that I was not happy with Venom. And that's okay. I mean, you know, some people liked it. Some people didn't. It made a bazillion dollars at the box office. So that's fine that people mm -hmm. support it and liked it. But if you don't, there's like specific reasons for it. And specifically, when Venom and Carnage typically face off, Venom has to team up with Spider-Man and they have this uneasy truce for just a red hot minute so they can defeat Carnage. And then when Carnage is defeated, then Venom and Spider-Man face off against one another. And it's last man standing, right? Mm -hmm. That's the way that wrestling match should go down. And it's not going to play out that way because Sony played their cards in the wrong order. So my fear is that Marvel's been throwing a wonderful party and mm -hmm. Sony comes and they've got a dip that's made out of not quality ingredients. It's it's a little bit on the stinky side. And they're like, hey, have some of our dip. And everybody's trying the dip. And all the guests get sick and they go home. They're like, oh, that Marvel party sucked. And it wasn't the Marvel party. It was the Sony dip that was bad at the party, right? Marvel's been a gracious host. They don't deserve any blame. So I'm really rooting if, if uh, Morbius doesn't, you know, if it doesn't turn out well, I don't want people to get sick of the MCU by association. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If Marvel's going to screw it up, let them screw it up. I guess for me, what's going to be intriguing now is, I mean, face it, after this sort of negotiated Spider-Man 3 situation, and again, then with the understanding that they, they sort of go their separate ways, but with their, their own different franchises, the, the very thing you're talking about, you know, where, you know, will they get the chance to sort of align these classic pairings uh, the way the fans are expecting. No, I, here's here's the thing that I think that, they, that they've that they really missed out on because, you know, they, they're forcing their way in. In the very first Venom movie, there's an astronaut that, cra is, you know, crashes in the opening of the movie. And mm -hmm. it's the son of J. Jonah Jameson. And it's, I think, John Jameson is his name. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in the comic books, he becomes Man-Wolf, which is just a werewolf. Mm-hmm. You've got Morbius coming out, who's straight up Dracula. Marvel wants to bring Blade into the MCU. There's your Van Helsing. You've almost got a Universal Monsters movie waiting to happen. That could be, if they lined it up right, release it on Halloween, and it's MCU Halloween Monster Fest. Werewolf versus Dracula, MCU style. But see, like, they're so focused on we want to do a Sinister Six because in that trailer, they had to get Michael Keaton to come back as the Vulture. Mm. So they want to get, and it's like, Morbius was never part of the Sinister Six. He He just wasn't. So he shouldn't be in that team up. You know, I mean, they're, they're kind of rushing, you know, putting a square peg in a round hole. And I want them to succeed, but it, it's like everything they're showing me is they're just in a hurry to play the cards without thinking about the order and the strategy of the long game, the way that Marvel is. Marvel played it patient. How many darn movies did it take from Iron Man to the end of the Infinity Saga? 23 total, including the Amazing. Spider-Man cap off. And Sony wants a Sinister Six next week. That's the difference. It's like love, man. You gotta take your time. You gotta you gotta kiss the neck a little bit before you go thrusting with your bits. Well, being <laughs> entirely fair here, gonna remember, Sony is also the studio that brought us Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which arguably is one of the most ambitious animated films. I mean, from a graphic point of view, from a storytelling point of view. Sure. So it's one of these things where it's a. I feel like you at least have to acknowledge that that that. I I, I love Sam Raimi's Spider Man. That was Sony produced. I have no problem admitting that I enjoy that. I did not like the Andrew Garfield ones. I thought Sony decided they they needed to do it their way, and they were overriding the the directors that had. The reason that they hired Sam Raimi is because it was their very first go around, and Sam was a fan of Spider Man. He told them that when he was six years old, he had a painting of Spider Man over his bed, and he read all the comics, and they went, "That's our guy." And then it made money and they went, ooh, money, money, money. Let's tr-. And then they found out about the Sinister Six and they went, okay, wait, guys, let's do it. Let's, let's just relaunch the whole thing and we'll get it going together real, real quick. And then it failed and now the MCU's up and going. They're like, ooh, money train, let's hop on it. And we got that Sinister Six that we failed at the first couple of times. Let's try it again. And I, it's like, guys, kiss the neck, nibble on the ear, slow the hell down. <laughs> Okay, so we're we're back to the PG thirteen section of the show, folks. So, so before Doctor Ruth comes on as our special guest, I think we we we'd better head for the door here. So, um, I tell you what, folks, if you you like what you've listened to here today, and if, if you, you really really that, really like it, <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for, for, for totally undermining my efforts here. Okay, so do Garen and a favor if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our, our show. That would be very helpful. Uh, likewise, if you would consider subscribing over at Bandcamp, uh, that would be equally helpful. Uh, we've got a bunch of other uh, podcasts here at Jim Hill Media. We've got the the Mothership Disney Dish with Len Testa. Likewise, Universal Joint, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. I want that with, with Rochelle Valladolid and fine-tuning with Drew Taylor. By the way, Nancy wants me to remind you folks that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at, as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And Okay, now I got to go back and look at the Mor- Morbius ad. And it's better than I remember, right? Okay, one last thing that we have to leave is the question mark at the end. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Morbius is walking in an alley next to a Spider-Man poster, and they've spray-painted murderer over it, which is to lead us to believe that's uh, in reference to Mysterio at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. Yes, yes. However, yeah. the Spider-Man in that image is from the Sony PlayStation game, which is using the Tobey Maguire costume. So, what does that mean? If that poster is using the Tobey Maguire costume... In their universe, I don't even know what that would indicate. Who made that call? Why? What are they trying to say to us as fans? Huh? <laughs> Is it not going to well, be Tom Holland? Is it? Are we getting Tobey Maguire back at the age of forty-five to <laughs> get back in the span? What does that mean? And now we'll put they, the question they, mark dot 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 dot. Good night, folks. Like <laughs> that works for me. Okay, <laughs> take care, folks, and hopefully we'll have an answer to that by the next show.